Bartimaeus cries out for mercy. And he receives mercy from Jesus and miraculous healing. And I love how unashamed and unembarrassed Bartimaeus is when he cries out for mercy loudly. Even when others try to silence him, he cries out all the more. What mercy from Jesus do you most need or desire today? What mercy do you need? What need do you desperately need to bring to him? I'm going to invite you in a moment to 30 seconds of silence. And in that silence, I'm not asking you to pray. I'm asking you to prayerfully reflect on that question. Where in your life is there an area where you need to call out to Jesus for mercy? It may be something you've carried for a long time. It may be a crisis moment that you just find yourself in right now. It may be something very inward. It may be something very outward and practical and tangible, whatever it is. Take 30 seconds of silence and simply ask God to help you name it. Maybe you'll come up with two or three, but at least one. And if you have trouble coming up with it, we're going to come back to this a little bit later. Where do you need Jesus to show you his mercy? Let's take a few seconds. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It is the Sunday in the church here when we are reminded that one day Christ will return as King. One day all evil will cease and the kingdom of God will be with us like never before. God will dwell with us and we will dwell with God. God will be our God and we will be his people. Fully and finally like never before. In the church calendar year, it is the end of the church year, which begins with the season of Advent, which we start next week. So we might say that today in the church year is sort of like New Year's Eve, a time when we reflect on our lives, when we make resolutions to live better lives in the year ahead. What resolution of transformation might God be asking you to make for the coming year? I should tell you in advance, this is going to be a very interactive message. What resolution of transformation might God be asking you to make in the coming year? Over the past 12 weeks, we have explored the deeper waters of transformation. And the imagery of deeper water came to me from my experience in prayer a year ago when I was trying to discern whether it was time to leave ECC or to stay. And the passage that God used then and has used a few times over the past 15 years is Luke 5 verses 1 through 11. And there, after a long and fruitless night of fishing, 
the first disciples are told by Jesus to put out into to get out into deep water and to let down their nets for a catch. And at first, Simon Peter pushes back. We have been out fishing all night long. We didn't catch a thing. This is pointless. But then he redirects and says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. On August 29th, I shared with you that this is the picture that God used to call me to stay and fish in deeper waters because he has a new and fruitful harvest for us here at ECC. And I invited all of us to fish in those deeper waters by pursuing our own spiritual transformation in partnership with the Holy Spirit and with one another in this community of faith. The sermon that I preached on August 29th was really more of my personal testimony than it was a sermon in the strictest sense. And we, we began the series with a testimony, we're going to end it with an exercise in prayer this morning. An exercise in an openness to the Holy Spirit, an attentiveness, attentiveness to our own desires and to God. In a few words, we will talk about blindness, we will talk about sight, we will talk about discipleship, and we will talk about desires. The story of Bartimaeus takes place at a key point in the Gospel of Mark and in the life of Jesus. The two events right before our passage this morning um, and, and the story of Bartimaeus are matched, are actually mirrored a few chapters earlier in the Gospel of Mark. Together, these events bookend this and define this larger section in the Gospel of Mark. And while we do not have time to go too deeply into this structure, I do want you to see uh, a bit of it, because so I'm going to draw from it a couple of times. So the larger section of Mark 8, 22 through chapter 10, 52, looks like this. Book ended. Blind man is healed in 8, 22 to 26. Then Peter sees Jesus' identity. That's when he asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. We'll talk about that a little bit. Then there are three predictions. The first prediction uh, of uh, Jesus' death is in chapter 8, verses 31 to 33. There, Peter sees a bit more clearly because Jesus has to rebuke him. The second prediction is in chapter 9. The third prediction of Jesus' death is in chapter 10, where we are today, 32 to 34. Then James and John don't see what's really going on. They have a request of Jesus. It does not go well for them, which matches Peter's gaffe back there. Chapter 8, and then Bartimaeus is healed. That's the basic structure. I'll show it to you again. This larger section is bookended by the healing of blind men, by the failure of the disciples, and by a prediction of Jesus' death. The first and third predictions. At the beginning of this structure, Mark 8, 22 to 26, Mark tells the story of the healing of a blind man. There, Jesus spits and makes some mud, puts some mud on the blind man's eyes, and then he says, well, can you see? And he says, well, a bit, but they look like people walking around like trees. And so Jesus touches his eyes a second time, and then Mark tells us his sight was restored, and he could see clearly. Immediately following this, in verses 27 to 30 of chapter 8, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? They give a few answers, and then Jesus gets more direct. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers famously, you are the Messiah. Peter's right, of course. He sees the truth about Jesus, but only to a certain degree. He's like the blind man just before. He sees who Jesus is, but not yet 
clearly. He will need a second touch from Jesus before he can see more clearly, spiritually or theologically speaking. And then right after this, Jesus makes the first of three predictions about his coming death. Chapter 8, verses 31 to 33. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Like the blind man Jesus had just healed, Peter saw the truth when he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, but it wasn't as in focus as it needed to be. And now, after Jesus has rebuked him, we could say he has received a second touch from Jesus. And Peter sees more clearly, the Messiah must suffer and die. So then we come back to the back side of the structure where we are, Mark 10, verses 32 to 34, where while traveling on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus makes the third of the three predictions about his impending death. He takes the 12 and he says, verse 33, Mark 10, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him Three days later, he will rise. As I said, this prediction corresponds to the first prediction back in chapter 8. Right after this, and before our passage this morning with Bartimaeus, James and John come to Jesus to ask a question. It's like they didn't hear a word he just said. And this incident is meant to mirror Peter's gaffe back in chapter 8. Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said, well, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but... To sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. James and John, like Peter, can't see that the call to follow Jesus, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once famously said, is a call to come and die. They reject the idea of the cross. They reject the idea of suffering. They reject the idea that following Jesus might actually cost them something. They only want the glory. Once again, the structure. Let's look at it. Blind man is healed, a blind man is healed. Peter blows it, James and John blow it. And in the middle, predictions of death. And laced within that are teachings about how we should live based on predictions of death. All this is to say... That blindness and sight in the Gospel of Mark are not just a physical reality. They are also about a spiritual reality. This is also to say that dying to oneself or self-denial for the sake of the kingdom of God, these things are also very important in Mark's Gospel. And at any given time, any of us might be able to see clearly what's going on, and at any given time, we might not 
see clearly what's going on. We might need another touch from Jesus if we are to go deeper into our transformation. So now, as we enter into the passage that you heard read earlier, and into this prayer exercise, I want to invite you to just engage. I will talk a little bit about a few verses, and then I will invite us to some silence and some prayer, and I'll give you some direction. Mark 10, 46-48. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus is determined. Bartimaeus is desperate. He's so desperate that even when others try to silence him, he does not relent but cries out even more loudly. This morning, my hope, my prayer is that we will cry out loudly. If no more than metaphorically, that we will cry out loudly. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. You see, stretched out before Bartimaeus is his cloak. Passersby would have thrown coins and offerings onto the cloak. That's where he would collect the offerings while he was begging. And with a lot of people coming by him today, because they're all on their way from Jericho to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, I would imagine the offering has been building up quite a bit. And yet Bartimaeus throws it aside. Coins scatter everywhere. People scurry, perhaps, to pick up one or two for themselves. Bartimaeus doesn't even care. Whatever gets between him and the mercy of Jesus is simply tossed aside. What do you need to throw aside or let go of? What do you personally need to throw aside or let go of? in order to come to Jesus? What situation, what relationship, what possession, what idol is standing in the way of a more intentional relationship with Jesus and a deeper transformation? What sins do you have yet to confess? What unforgiveness towards another are you still holding on to? In what ways might you throw it aside let it go and give it up. So let's wait in silence again. Let's give the Holy Spirit time and room to speak to us and let's take whatever we hear and let's pray it back to God. Ask God for the strength to let it go. To throw aside whatever stands in the way. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up now. What might you need to throw aside What situation, relationship, possession is standing in the way of a more intentional relationship with Jesus and your own deeper transformation? Worship team is going to play for a bit and sing. And we are going to sit in silence for about 30 seconds. 
and the question will remain on the screen. Let's take that time now. Verse 51 of Mark 10. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Now it must have been obvious to Jesus. A blind man cries out for mercy, comes stumbling up to him. There's no indication anybody helped him. He could have been running into people and knocking things over. And yet Jesus has to ask him, well, what do you want me to do for you? Why would Jesus ask that question? Because desire matters. Desire matters. What we desire, what we most want, tells us something about who we are and about who we perceive God to be. And yes, we can desire the wrong things. We can desire things that run contrary to God's will. We just saw this a few minutes ago. Did you notice, did you notice that the, the question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus is the same question that he asked James and John in verse 36? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? James and John asked for positions of power and influence, but they, they do not get it. They, like Peter earlier, see partially what is going on. Jesus will sit on a throne in his kingdom, that is true, but they do not see Clearly, things are a bit still uh, fuzzy and out, out of focus for them. Bartimaeus asked to be able to see. See, sometimes we get what we ask of Jesus, and sometimes we don't. 
But knowing and naming our desires is important for our spiritual formation, whatever those desires may be. Knowing and naming our desires, these things are important for our spiritual formation, whatever they may be. In his article entitled, The One Question Every Disciple of Jesus Must Answer, Ben Sternkey of Gravity Leadership, he's uh, uh, spoken at a couple of men's retreat for us. He, he says that the question of what do you want is ground zero for the inbreaking of God's kingdom. You have to name what you want. You have to own it, it as your desire, no matter what it is. Then he says further, if Jesus can give it to you, he will, as Bartimaeus found out. But here's the par- best part. If he can't give you your desire, as James and John found out, he won't scold you for having a bad desire. He won't abandon you as a hopeless case. Instead, he will disciple you. Not that we're dealing, now that we're dealing with reality, what you actually want, Jesus can begin to proclaim good news into the bad news of our malformed desires, and we can actually begin to want new and better things as God's Spirit works in us. We can actually begin to want new and better things as God's Spirit works in us. Jesus doesn't scold us. He disciples us. He transforms us. He takes us where we are and moves us further down the path. In the passage and throughout this larger section from Mark 8, 22 through 10, 52, time and again, Jesus makes the point that we are to die to ourselves and to live for God. We are to lay down our lives for Christ and for others. But that's not where our journey of transformation begins. It begins with naming our true desires. In a sense, we can't even get to self-denial until we know what we want. So let us sit in silence again. Take a few slow, deep breaths. Center your heart and mind on the presence of God, for God is present. And then make your requests known to God. The question is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Answer Jesus' question, whatever that answer may be. The worship team will play and sing again, and then we'll sit in silence for 30 seconds. Name your desire to God and give it to Him and ask Him for it. What? Do you want Jesus to do for you? Lord, take us deeper, Lord, take us farther, give us the faith to step out on the water, help us believe even more of you.
Mark 10, 52, we read, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. At the beginning of the story, Bartimaeus was begging beside the road and unable to see. After his faith has saved him and his sight has been restored, Mark tells us, he followed Jesus along the road. He was beside the road, but now he follows Jesus along the road. It's a picture of discipleship on the way to the cross. Right after this passage, chapter 11, Mark 11, Jesus enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on his way to his death. It's a picture of discipleship on the way to the cross. And it is especially powerful when it is compared to the picture we have been given of James and John and Peter when they are unable to see what the blind man sees. You should remember that Bartimaeus called Jesus son of David. He's the first one to use that, that name for Jesus in all of Mark's gospel. Son of David is a messianic title. It's a kingly title. On Christ the King Sunday, this is a kingly title for Jesus. It identifies Jesus as the Messiah on some level. It mirrors Peter's identification of Jesus as Messiah back in chapter 8. And it came from the lips, not of the disciples, but of a blind beggar. That's deep insight. There is a blindness that is healed when we come to faith in Jesus, but as we see over and over again with the disciples, there are always blind spots. There are always places in our lives where we don't see as clearly as we would like to or need to, where we don't fully understand who Jesus is or what he's capable of in our lives. Blindness can certainly even affect us after we've come to faith, even if we are mature in the faith. There is always more of Jesus yet to know. There is always more of the mystery yet to be revealed to us. So now, given the last 12 weeks we've spent in deeper water, inviting one another to pursue our own spiritual formation, are there areas in your life where you have yet to fully follow Jesus? Are there blind spots God might want to reveal to you? What step might Jesus want you to take to pursue your own transformation more faithfully, to grow in your relationship with Jesus, to become the kind of person God knows you can be? The question is, how might you follow Jesus more faithfully along the way in the year to come? What's one step? You know, one of the things we've prayed about and discerned is the importance of community and small groups for our transformation. The importance of community and small groups as we, as we pray and plan and attempt to move forward in that. Perhaps God, when the time comes, is inviting you to commit to a small group. Or maybe God is inviting you to extend forgiveness to someone that you have not yet forgiven. Or maybe you need to become more faithful in worship or in daily prayer or in reading or in reflecting and praying through the scripture or in serving in a ministry or in giving financially. What step, what one step of following Jesus along the way might God ask you to take in the coming week, month, and year? Once again, the worship team is going to play for a bit. 
then we will observe a time of silence together, and after that, I will close us in prayer. deeper, Lord, take us farther, give us the faith to step out on the water, help us believe even more of you. God, we give you thanks this day because you are present in this room. We give you thanks that you have given us Jesus who loves us more deeply than we could ever imagine, who knows the desires of our hearts, and yet you have made a way for us to bring our desires to you. All that we might know you more, all that we might know that you have nothing but good and beautiful things planned for us, even in the midst of difficulty and trial. And so I pray, oh God, whatever prayers have been prayed this day, I pray that we would all see you move in powerful ways in the days and weeks and months to come. And I pray for any of us, oh God, who struggle with this, that in the days ahead, you will grant them clarity. And in all these things, Lord, we pray that we would be able to trust you and to love you and to serve you with all our might, that we would love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we take that love and let it overflow into the world. God, we give you thanks for our brother Bartimaeus, for his boldness, for his insight, for his faithfulness. Most of all, we thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name.